Daniel was not belligerent. Daniel was not arrogant. Daniel was not rebellious. Daniel knew how to develop relationships with people. This is Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. Today's message, a series in the book of Daniel, 1, part 1. Enjoy, and remember you can always catch up with past messages and stay up to date with Hope Lives 365 and Pastor Mark by going to hopelives365.com. And now, Pastor Mark Finley. Welcome to Unsealing Daniel's Mysteries. I'm so delighted that you've joined us. Many of you have been with us in the past. We've studied the book of Revelation together, chapter by chapter. Now we're going to the book of Daniel. We'll be studying it chapter by chapter. Each Wednesday evening, we'll unfold another chapter in the book of Daniel. Now, some Wednesday nights, it's going to take us a couple Wednesdays to get through some of the chapters, particularly when we get to the prophetic portions of the book of Daniel. Daniel is divided really into two parts, stories and prophecies. The stories of Daniel tell us how to prepare for end events. They talk about prayer and faith and character. The prophecies reveal an outline of those events and tell us the stupendous events that will take place just before the coming of Jesus. So the stories really tell us how, the prophecies tell us when. When we study the book of Daniel, it's important to look, I think, at three things in each chapter. First, we want to look at what does this chapter say about the character of God? How is God revealed in this chapter? Satan has portrayed God as a vindictive judge, a wrathful tyrant, authoritarian. How does each chapter of the book of Daniel reveal God's character in the light of the great controversy? Secondly, what practical lessons can we learn from this chapter for our life today? How can this chapter make you a better father, better mother? How can it encourage your heart in times of sickness or disease or unemployment? How can it help us for the times ahead? And then lastly, what does this chapter say about end events? So what does it say about God? What does it say about my life today? What does it say about end events and the events that will soon to break upon this world as an overwhelming surprise? Let's pray as we get into the chapter. But before we pray, there are a couple what I would call housekeeping items. Um, If you have any questions, you can write to us or email to us at info at hopelives365.com. Next week, we'll take up some of the questions that you might have on chapter one. And then the following week, when we do chapter two, then we'll take up questions the third week on chapter two and so forth. So that's hope info at hopelives365.com. We're here to answer your questions. We welcome your questions. We certainly want to answer them. Secondly, starting next week, we will uh, publish some Bible study guides on the book of Daniel. So if you'd like our Bible study guides uh, next week, you can go to hopelives365.com forward slash weekly Bible study. That's hopelives three sixty five forward slash weekly Bible study. This week number two, we'll publish the guides for number one and so forth. So each week you can have a chance to study Bible study guides along with us and review what we've gone over that 
previous week. Let's pray as we jump into the book of Daniel. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to study Daniel. Thank you for the marvelous privilege that we have of opening the word of God, a, a, a word from the Lord that's inspired, a word that lifts our spirit, a word that encourages our hearts. So be with us as we study. Give us insight into your loving character. Reveal to us how we can live life in the 21st century. And Lord, we pray that you'd impress our minds through the Holy Spirit about the things that are going to break and crash upon our world and help us be prepared for your soon return. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are not alone in your desire to understand the book of Daniel. Did you know that Christopher Columbus, early founder of America, studied the book of Daniel? He wrote a treatise on the book of Daniel. Why was he so interested in Daniel? Because he believed that the world was soon going to come to an end. And he believed that this world was going to face a crisis. And he believed everybody had to know about it. That's what led him on his explorations. He was, when he came to America, he uh, was looking for India. Why? Because he wanted to find ways that the gospel could be preached there. So you're not alone in your desire to study the book of Daniel. Columbus was an ardent student of Daniel. One of the most brilliant people ever to live uh, was Isaac Newton, mathematician and a scholar. He studied the prophecies of Daniel and as a result of that, believed that Daniel was inspired. And uh, the Isaac Newton, this scientist, wrote a major book on the prophecies of Daniel. One of my favorite stories is a story about Timothy Dwight. Timothy Dwight was a the president of Yale College, which later became Yale University. And uh, during the French Revolution, many of the students at the college turned their backs on God. They turned their backs on faith. Yale College was originally a religious institution. But uh, during the time of the French Revolution, when people were reading people like uh, Locke and Rousseau and so forth, the students at Yale uh, became very um, skeptical in their viewpoints, very cynical. They would mock the Bible and downplay the word of God. Timothy Dwight challenged, <coughs> excuse me, Timothy Dwight challenged many of those students, brought them to chapel one day, came with a stack of history books. And as he did that, he had the history books in, in one hand and the Bible in the other. He opened the word of God, began to study the book of Daniel and compare it with history. And as he did, the students are absolutely amazed, eventually gave him a standing ovation and a revival broke out at Yale College. So Columbus and Isaac Newton and Timothy Dwight, Anne Bradstreet, America's first poet, was a great student of the book of Daniel. So you're not alone in your desire to study the writings of Daniel and his prophecies. Now, the skeptics of the Bible first used to say, well, the prophecies of Daniel, they're not accurate at all. But then as the archaeologists began to uncover the evidence with names and places in the book of Daniel, the skeptics changed their tune. They said, well, you know what? Daniel was not written 600 years before Christ, the skeptics said. 
it, it must have been written 200 years before Christ, after many of the events took place. And so Daniel wasn't a prophet at all. Now, there are three things that put that argument to rest. Number one, that when you look at the language of the second of century before Christ, and you look at the language of the seventh century before Christ, so you look about you know, 150 to 200 years before Christ, when many of these skeptics said that Daniel was written, and you look at the language of 700 years before Christ, the language of the book of Daniel is not the language of the second century before Christ. It's the language of six, 700 years before Christ. Secondly, even if you say that it was, the, take the late date for Daniel, which it wasn't written then, it was written 600 and years before Christ. But even if you took that late date, there's still many prophecies yet to be fulfilled about Rome, how Rome would be divided, about uh, that can be demonstrated in history about Rome never being reunited, the nations of Europe and the nations of the Middle East in explosion. So, so that doesn't solve the skeptics problem. But there's a third thing that I think cinches the argument that Daniel was a prophet. If you have your Bible, Take it in turn to Matthew chapter 24. Now, to get the most out of these Bible studies, I encourage you to have a Bible ready, a pen, and a notebook so you can take some notes. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Now, if you're a student of the Bible at all, you recognize that in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about last day events. He's talking about end time. He talks about wars and rumors of wars, talks about false Christs and false prophets, talks about famines and earthquakes and pestilences, talks about rising crime and violence, talks about the gospel going to the end of the world. Then in verse 15, notice what it says. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, we'll study what that is when we get to Daniel 7 and 8 and Daniel 12 spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. So Jesus says, Daniel is a what? Daniel is a what? Daniel's a, a prophet. And so I would rather take Jesus' word than some skeptic's word, wouldn't you? And Jesus said, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, the entire Bible is inspired by God and is profitable as we read it. It encourages us and deepens our spiritual experience. But there's only one book in the Bible that Jesus said to read and understand. That's the book of Daniel. So if Jesus says Daniel is a prophet, and if Jesus says read and understand Daniel, it must be incredibly important to do that. What specific time was Daniel's prophecies written for? We'll be right back with Pastor Mark Finley. We thank you for listening and hope you're enjoying today's message. Our mission is to attractively present the Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in a practical, relevant way to people around the world so that they may experience the abundant life that Christ offers and effectively share with confidence His life-changing truths with others. You can support this ministry and help us reach even more by going to hopelives365.com slash donate. And now, back to Pastor Mark Finley. 
what specific time was Daniel's prophecies written for? Take your Bible and go back to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to the end of the book just to begin before we go to chapter 1. Daniel chapter 12. What specific time were Daniel's prophecies written for? Daniel 12 verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. Knowledge shall be increased. It's true that general knowledge has been increased, but that's not really the meaning of this text. You see where it says run to and fro? It's written in Hebrew language, and the Hebrew is leaf back and forth. In other words, shut up the words, Daniel, seal the book till the time of the end. And at that time, many will be studying the book of Daniel. So we're really fulfilling God's prophecy tonight as we study the book of Daniel. Look at verse 9. Go your way, Daniel, for your words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and refined. But the wicked, verse 10, shall do wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So as the wise understand the book of Daniel... It'll have a profound influence on their life. They will be transformed by the grace of God as they understand the prophecies of Daniel. There will be a revival in their own life. And according to verse 10, they'll be purified and made white and they'll be refined. Their characters will be refined. So as we study the book of Daniel each week, the spirit of God will speak to your heart. You will sense the Lord working in your life. The Holy Spirit will bring you conviction of sin, and the Holy Spirit will enable you to have victory over attitudes and actions in your life. You will, according to verse 10, as you study Daniel and apply these principles to your life, be purified, be refined. Now, notice what it says in verse 13. The book of Daniel ends this way, but go your way till the end, for you shall rest and arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. So the book of Daniel was written specifically, distinctly, and significantly for end times. So every chapter we look at, what does it say about God? What does it say about my life today? What does it say about end times? Now with that background, let's go right to chapter one in the book of Daniel. Now what's the name of this book we're studying? What is it? It's Daniel. What does that mean? When you see the E-L at the end of a name, it's Elohim. It's the name of God. So that's God. Dan was judges. So the name Daniel means God is my judge or God is my vindicator. Now, when we think of a judge in modern days, most of us don't want to appear before the judge. We don't want to go there, do we? But in Daniel's day, the judge was one who set all things right. The judge was one who vindicated you if you were condemned. The judge was one who was on your side, not against you. So the name Daniel is God, the God of judge, judgment and justice, the God who is my vindicator. So in the great controversy between good and evil, in this panorama, this struggle between Christ and Satan, God is the one that one day will set all things right. There's a lot that's unfair in our world. That's a lot that's unjust in our world. 
but God is going to set all things right in the end. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. Now let's just jump right into the book. If I were writing a theme for the first chapter of the book of Daniel, I would theme it, the God who turns defeat into victory. When you start with Daniel chapter one, it looks like there's a great defeat for the true God. Look, Daniel one, verse one and two. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So you have two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Jehoiakim, two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. And here, Babylon representing evil and wickedness, Babylon representing rebellion against God, Jerusalem, the city of peace, representing God's truth, representing the word of God, representing the people of God, Babylon representing era apostasy and rebellion. Here, Daniel sees Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attack Jerusalem, his holy city, and Jehoiakim, and Babylon wins. It appears that error wins and truth loses. It appears that this rebellious, wicked power triumphs over the people of God. But notice next verse, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You see where it says the Lord? That word is an interesting word. It has to do, if you're translating it from Hebrew into Greek, Adonai, the Lord, the one that's sovereign over all. So evil may have a temporary victory, but God is still sovereign in your life. There may be temporary defeats. There may be temporary setbacks. There may be sickness. There may be suffering. There may be problems in your life, but God is still in control. He is still the Adonai. He is still the sovereign God. He is still the one who will set all things right. As we'll see, the chapter one begins with the defeat for the true God, but it ends with a great victory for the true God. God knows how to bring victory out of defeat. God knows how to bring joy out of sorrow. God knows how to care for us in the times of difficulty. So the Lord gives Jehoiakim. The Lord has a purpose. See, the Lord gave. In other words, the Lord has a purpose. The Lord has a plan. Even when Israel is defeated, even when Jerusalem goes into captivity, God still has a plan. Now, notice what it says, verse 2, the Lord God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God. In other words, the house of God is the sanctuary. And so Nebuchadnezzar robs the golden candlestick. He, he robs the golden altar of incense. He robs the golden table where the showbread was placed. He takes those articles that were known to be part of the worship service of the temple of God in the sanctuary of God. He takes them back to Babylon, puts them in the temple of Belmarduk, his chief God. You'll see why that's important. It says he, he carries them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. His God was Belmarduk. That was the chief God. There were 13 gods in Babylon. He brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Imagine it. These golden vessels and articles that were graced by the Shekinah glory of God in the sanctuary in the presence of that Shekinah glory, presence of that. They are now brought into the idol's temple. They are defiled. What blasphemy. 
Now the king, verse 3, instructs Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel. Now that word children in Hebrew has to do with uh, young adults, teenagers. You'll see that in the next verse of Israel, some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish. Now notice, these are young men. There's no blemish. They are specimens of physical stamina. They're good looking. They're handsome. They're gifted in wisdom. They, uh, they have the ability to learn. They're bright. They're intelligent. They possess knowledge. So they've already been part, their schooling has already been partially done. They're quick to understand. They have ability to serve the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and literature, the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians. So what's Nebuchadnezzar's intent? Here's his intent. Take the brightest and the best from Israel, from Jerusalem. Bring the brightest and the best. They're handsome, good-looking, intelligent, sharp-witted. They already have some knowledge. Brainwash them. Saturate their minds with the philosophy, ideology, religion of Babylon. Then send them back to Jerusalem to worship, to, 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 to live there and influence those in Jerusalem in behalf of the king of Babylon. So they were to be puppets of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to go back to influence the Israelites so that that nation too could be worshipers of these false gods. Now this tactic is not some uh, new tactic. It's, it's a tactic that's been used down through the centuries, even used today. For example, when the Russians years ago in the late 70s attacked Afghanistan, one of the things they did was take Afghani youth and bring them back to the universities in Moscow to teach them Marxism and communism so they could send them back to rule. Uh, there in uh, Afghanistan. This is commonly done. One nation attacks another nation, brings its nobles and the best, puts them through some kind of re-education process. So this was Nebuchadnezzar's intent with Daniel and his friends. It says in verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. So that he would put them through the University of Babylon for three years. As they were ushered into the Babylonian Empire through the very famous Ishtar Gate in Procession Way, Babylon was this amazing city. It was larger than Rome, larger than Damascus, larger than Athens, an amazing city. The river Euphrates ran through the center of Babylon, giving it a constant water supply. Babylon's walls were so high that three, uh, that two chariots could race side by side on the walls. Babylon had outer walls to protect it, but then along the river it had inner walls in case anybody ever broached, breached the outer walls. In addition to that, Babylon had scores of temples to their gods, 13 gods of Babylon, Belmardic being the lead god. And Babylon had a 20-year food supply so that if an enemy attacked it, they said, look, you're going to have to wait out there for a long time. They had a 20-year food supply. King Nebuchadnezzar built for his queen the gardens of beautiful gardens called the Babylonian gardens, the hanging gardens, some of the most 
prestigious in the world at that time. So Babylon was the leading nation. And it, Babylon was the leading nation, and its capital, Babylon, was the leading city in the world at that time. Daniel and his friends were ushered into this feast. Now imagine it. Imagine it, a lush banquet hall. Everything on that table to tempt the eye, delight the taste. And that food is offered to Belmarduk, the Babylonian god of the temple. And there, Daniel and his friends are invited to eat, eat in honor of the king. What happens? First, there's a ceremony. Verse 6. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now in the Bible, names represent something. You've been listening to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. We hope you've enjoyed today's message and remind you that you can find more in our many ministry resources at hopelives365.com. And you can support this ministry by going to hopelives365.com slash donate. And now, a final thought from Pastor Mark. Whatever environment you find yourself in, you can serve God. If Daniel can serve God in Babylon, you can serve God where you are. Maybe you work with a lot of ungodly people around you. You can serve God. You can purpose in your heart to serve God. In a culture of our day that is like Babylon, when it seems so difficult, you can purpose in your heart by the grace of God and through his strength to serve him.